This week on Medical Minefield, criminal law expert Emma Milne. Women aren't purposefully getting pregnant in order to be able to have late-term abortions. That's not a goal that women have. Yes, the behaviour of women like the woman on Monday, I'm not going to say it's okay and it's fine. But does the criminal law actually help here? My argument is no. And Dr Caroline Scherf, a gynaecologist working in the NHS. She needs support. She shouldn't obviously be sent to prison. Sending someone like that to the prison means there are three orphans now. She's no danger to the public. She is costing the state lots of money by keeping her in prison. What a bizarre idea. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking if abortion law needs a radical rethink. As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefields, tweet us at MedMinefield. So before we start, we're going to play you a clip from the new campaign launched this week by the British Pregnancy Advisory Service. Right here in Great Britain, women are facing life in prison for ending their own pregnancies. Last year, a young mother who used abortion medication in a failed attempt to end her own pregnancy was dragged before the courts after her own medical team reported her to the police. A 15-year-old girl was accused of an illegal abortion after suffering a stillbirth. The police seized her laptop and phone during her GCSEs and she was driven to self-harm. This week, a woman has been jailed for ending her own pregnancy. She is a mother to three young children. What kind of a society? What kind of a society? What kind of a society treats women this way? It's, it's incredibly emotive and powerful stuff, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. And always sparks really quite passionate discussions, this topic, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's an, an incredibly difficult thing to talk about. And, and we're going to try and talk about it in the most sensitive way uh, we possibly can. Mm. We don't tend to do trigger warnings. If there is anything that we discuss in particular mention of suicide, then it's important to get in touch with Samaritans to talk to them about it. Now, to go over what was said in that clip, there was mention that this week a woman has been jailed for ending her own pregnancy. She is a mother of three children. They ask what kind of a society treats women this way. And it sounds on the surface very shocking. The truth is complicated. And in order to outline the reason that we are we are talking about this and, and what seems to have been the catalyst for this campaign launched this week for the reform of abortion law in the UK is the jailing of Carla Foster on the 12th of June. And in order to outline the case, which is, is far more complex than they could have possibly outlined in that, in that short campaign video, there is an awful lot of detail in the judgment of Justice Pepperell, and that's what what I'm going to read out. So this is this is everything that has been essentially mm. made made public about the case. So I'm I'm going to read from that, and it's it's going to be a quite long read. So I'm just warning you, but I do think it's important that the facts are laid out 
before we move on to the the campaign that has been launched in the wake of this case. In his sentencing remarks, he says, This case concerns one woman's tragic and unlawful decision to obtain a very late abortion. The balance struck by the law between a woman's reproductive rights and the rights of her unborn fetus is an emotive and often controversial issue. That is, however, a matter for Parliament and not the courts. While an abortion is available in limited other circumstances, the principal rule under the Abortion Act 1967 is that a pregnancy can be lawfully terminated up to the 24th week of pregnancy. Early medical abortions, being abortions performed in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy, usually involve the prescription of two drugs. And now the the background to this is that there was a a huge change, a very significant Mm. change, which any doctor who you ask who works in the field of reproduction at all, gynecologist, anyone you ask, will say it was an incredibly important moment. Mm. During the pandemic, telehealth, the prescription of abortion drugs for these early abortions, was allowed to be done entirely at home. So a woman could have a telephone conversation and uh, be sent these these medications and go through the process at home. And it involves taking one medicine one day and then the following day or in the following days, the other medicine. And that would end the pregnancy at that early stage. So I'm going to continue from the uh, sentencing remarks now. Some weeks after the change in the law, so this is in March 2020, April 2020, you, Carla Foster, obtained abortion drugs by a telephone consultation designed only for abortions in the first 10 weeks. You were, in fact, 32 to 34 weeks pregnant and well beyond the point at which you could lawfully obtain an abortion. Messages found on your phone indicate that you had known of your pregnancy for about three months on the 1st of February. By mid-February, you were conducting internet searches on ways to induce a miscarriage. By the end of February, you were searching for abortion services. Your search on 25th of February indicates that you believed you were 23 weeks pregnant. Your internet searches continued sporadically throughout March and April 2020. On the 24th of April, you searched, I need to have an abortion, but I am past 24 weeks. On the 6th of May, you consulted the telemedical services provided by the British Pregnancy Advisory Service. You gave false answers that would have indicated your pregnancy was seven weeks and four days in length. The abortion drugs were then posted out to her. On the 9th of May, she took one of these drugs. That same day, you conducted internet searches suggesting you were 28 weeks pregnant. You then took the other drug. At around 11pm on the 11th of May, two emergency calls were made for medical attention that afternoon and evening. And then it goes on to talk about the uh, situation that arose. She gave paramedics false information and the first set of paramedics went away. A second call was made. When they arrived, she had given birth to the baby It goes on to say paramedics attended at 7pm but all attempts at resuscitation failed and he names the the child, she'd obviously named the child Lily, was pronounced dead at 7.45pm. Further internet searches that evening suggested you believed you were 30 weeks pregnant. 
you originally maintained to medical staff you were unaware you were pregnant. You later told a midwife that you had obtained drugs for an, an abortion clinic and that you believed you were in the early stages of pregnancy. You said you realized that you needed to speak to the police. When you did so, you admitted to taking abortion drugs and that Lily could have been conceived in either October or December 2019, but you maintained that you did not know how far into pregnancy you had been. A post-mortem examination confirmed that the pregnancy was between 32 and 34 weeks gestation. Now, interestingly, he goes on to talk about an intervention, which sounds quite unusual, from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, the chief executive of the Royal College of Midwives and a number of other organisations with relevant interests in this area. And he says in this letter... These eminent professionals argue that the successful introduction of the telemedicine option was one of the single greatest advances since abortion care was legalised by the 1967 Act. They explain that telemedicine has transformed the care for some of the most vulnerable women and girls who find it difficult to access in-person medical services. Such patients include women and girls at serious risk of harm, whether from a coercive partner or other family member and those who are isolated in rural communities. The letter urges a non-custodial sentence and indicates that its authors are concerned that imprisonment might deter other women from accessing telemedical abortion services. And the letter goes on to suggest that, that one of the authors might appear before the court to present their plea in person. The judge said it plainly would not have been appropriate to have allowed any of the authors to address the court. Indeed, I consider it would have been better if the letter had not been written at all. While it provides me with some useful information about the delivery of telemedicine services, the letter also has the capacity to be seen as a special pleading by those who favour wider access to abortions and is, in my judgment, just as inappropriate as it would be for a judge to receive a letter from one of the groups campaigning for more restrictive laws and which might seek to argue that it is important that the law is upheld by passing a deterrent sentence. My duty as a judge is to apply the law as provided by Parliament. If the medical profession considers that judges are wrong to imprison women who procure a late abortion outside of the 24-week limit, then it should lobby Parliament to change the law and not judges who are charged with the duty of applying law. Now, as we know, he, he jailed Carla Foster for 28 months, and she will serve half of that. And campaign is exactly what they've decided to do. So shortly after the sentence, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and 32 other organisations with interests in this area launched a campaign to reform abortion law and produced, well, the RCOG produced a mission statement. BPAS um, produced that video and have been campaigning on social media. There were questions raised in Parliament. Stella Creasy spoke in Parliament. And what people essentially are calling for is an end to legislation on abortion. So complete decriminalisation. Complete decriminalisation. <laughs> Off the back of this case, they're saying, in fact, there should be no laws over abortion, that it is a medical procedure. And this isn't to say that there should be no rules, mm. but there shouldn't be the threat of imprisonment for women 
that might fall outside of a certain legal category. I think it's worth saying as well that in this particular case, Carla Foster has three children, one of which has um, severe uh, disabilities. So she, you know, lots of people are saying, what are we achieving by putting a mother with responsibilities in in prison? Yeah, my understanding, I mean, the the judgment goes on to recognise her, Mm. the circumstances that she found herself in, and it was very complicated and also, I believe he acknowledged that she was a. He judged her to be a good mother. He did. He specified that. And uh, during the pandemic, she had moved back in with an ex partner. And and I, I mean, I'll read from the judgment. It says, "You are aged forty four and have no previous convictions. This offence was committed against a backdrop of the first and most intense phase of lockdown at the start of the COVID nineteen pandemic, forced to stay at home." You move back in with your long-term but estranged partner while carrying another man's child. You were, I accept, in emotional turmoil and you sought to hide the pregnancy. So it was obviously a very difficult situation that she found herself in. Awful. Mm. Obviously, this case has provoked very extreme reactions from from the public. Mm. You know, I mean, I was talking just last night with a, a friend of mine who was a gynecologist mm. and, you know, her first reaction was we regularly have babies born at 22 weeks. And, you know, the trajectory for those babies is not easy, mm. but 22 weeks is is perfectly, you know, survivable. At 32 to 34 weeks, that's almost full term. I guess the argument underpinning it all is whether we judge a baby's right to life to be when they are born or when the woman is pregnant with them and carrying them. Is the child still an extension of the mother's body? The day before they're born. You know, the day, yeah, when they're not born yet. Yeah. And then as soon as they're born, they have a right to life. Is, is that what the country judges? I, well, I think, I think that's how people think, isn't it? I think at some point, even people who are fully supportive of a woman's right to, to have control of her fertility and, and access to abortion may say there are two lives and the other life has a right to life beyond that of the mother at some point, And that may happen before the birth. I think that that argument is difficult because you could say, as you said, a baby could viably be born at 22 weeks. And once you start getting into that, I, I think, you know, the, the fact is it, is it it isn't a born alive person yet. Mm-hmm. And I do think you sort of at some point have to draw a line under it. Mm. I was listening to the radio and they had an, a, a pro-life campaigner who kept referring to Carla Foster's child as an um, eight-month-old baby. And the presenter kept having to interject and say, no, it's an eight-month-old fetus. It's not a baby. It's not been born. It's an eight-month-long mm. mm. pregnancy. Well, before we go any further, let's hear from a legal expert who spent a lot of time considering this case and abortion law reform as a whole. On the line now, we have Emma Milne, Associate Professor in Criminal Law and Criminal Justice at Durham Law School. Emma, thanks so much for finding time to join us. We're talking today about abortion law reform, and and this is something that you're very supportive of. Would you like to outline, first of all, what you think needs to fundamentally change? So we have legislation that dates back to the 1860s. Now, quite a bit of our legislation is quite old, but one of the real issues with this area is it's rarely used 
it hasn't been looked at and it's not understood in terms of what Parliament intended when they enacted it. So a key driver for that piece of legislation was to stop women from being killed in the process of abortions that went wrong. Abortion is now incredibly safe. We don't need criminal law involvement in order to make sure it's safe. And what we've seen from cases recently where the law has been applied is that the courts and the Crown Prosecution Service are assuming that this piece of legislation exists to protect fetuses. Now, there might be a good reason to protect fetuses in law. I am worried that there are some incredibly dangerous ramifications. But my big concern here is that Parliament has never said it wants to protect fetuses. This is a Crown prosecution and a court's interpretation, which is wrong. So Parliament needs to step in and make a decision about what the criminal law should be saying in this situation. And obviously this is being discussed against the backdrop of the Carla Foster case. And certainly the the judge mentioned the difficulty he had in, in coming up with a sentence, for instance, because there was very little precedent for for him. And he said it was an option for him because there was no sentencing guideline that he could have given her a life sentence, apparently. However, you know, he looked at another case in order to come up with his, his sentence. But also within that, he said that he was there to carry out the law, not to make any changes in it or set any new, new precedents. But campaigners had sought to uh, influence him and had argued for a non-custodial sentence. And do you think that that would have been right? Could he have done that? Would it have been an option for him? That's not really something I'm able to comment on. I'm not a specialist in sentencing or in judicial discretion. I think what the judge's remarks really indicate for me is that he was left with very limited guidance. And again, the role of the courts is to apply the law as Parliament intended. When Parliament hasn't been involved in an area of law for a long time, as they haven't been involved in law around procuring a miscarriage, the judges are left with very little guidance and they essentially, they have to assume they know what Parliament wants to have happen. I think at the moment they are not coming to the correct conclusions. That's not anybody's fault. They don't have guidance from Parliament, which again really reinforces why Parliament needs to get involved in this area of law. I suppose the thing that has ignited debate is that the decriminalisation of, of abortion, so the removal of, of the law, the legislation around this, means that there is no legal limit to when a woman could seek an abortion. And people interpret that in one way, don't they? That It sounds like you're saying remove all rules, have an abortion any time you want. And you've pointed out that that's not the case. That's not what people are asking for. No, absolutely not. If abortion is removed from the criminal law, that doesn't mean it's you know it's a free for all. It involves medical professionals regulating themselves in exactly the same way they regulate themselves with all other forms of medical procedure. The criminal law doesn't need to be involved to do that. There's other pieces of regulation of medical professionals to ensure that their practice is professional and ethical. And if it's not, they've got bodies that then punish them if they do things that are beyond their scope and beyond what we would consider to be good practice. What removing abortion from the criminal law allows is it allows compassionate understanding of these sorts of situations. So women aren't purposefully getting pregnant in order to be able to have late-term abortions. That's not a goal that women have. A woman only ends up in a situation where she is attempting to end her pregnancy after 24 weeks, which is the kind of the period where we often fixate on. After that period, if she's in a crisis, 
Now, a big focus of my research is thinking about what is the role of the criminal law and why do we criminalize women in crisis? I'm not convinced it's the best use of the criminal law. I'm not convinced there's public interest in that. And I'm also incredibly worried about the implications if we do criminalize women for conduct during pregnancy. This has happened in the United States of America and the consequences have just been absolutely horrendous, not only for women, because we've seen a massive rolling back of abortion rights, which we can definitely link very clearly to the creation of fetal homicide laws and the criminalization of women for conduct in pregnancy. But there's also very clear evidence that it actually doesn't help fetuses or babies because women avoid medical care if they're worried that they're going to be criminalized. The best thing for a woman who is potentially in a situation, so for example, taking drugs while she's pregnant, so a situation that could cause harm to her unborn baby, is that she seeks the assistance of a doctor. If she's scared to do that, we have fetuses and babies that are in very difficult situations, as well as, of course, these poor women. Yes, and of course, when when this argument comes up, often people seem to think that abortion is is something brand new. And in fact, before it was legal, women sought abortions and risked their lives doing so. And in living memory, there are women who were put into this situation because it's not that long ago that you couldn't legally obtain an, an abortion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's doctors who still talk about the fact that they knew that every Friday night in A&E you'd have a woman coming in bleeding to death because she got paid on a Friday, which meant she could have an illegal abortion. Yeah, I mean, it's a dreadful situation that no one would want to see return, I think, or no one with right mind is. And as you said, very surprising to think about the fact that that wasn't even that long ago. Yes, exactly. But we're talking about this and, you know, we're talking about this against the backdrop of this case. And the complexity is has, is because of the role of telehealth in this. So when you mention that there is no need for, for legislation because it would be bound by medical ethics, uh, like all other medical procedures and overseen by doctors, and uh, there is rigorous regulation of that. That does not take into account this very unusual situation, but something that I know people have worried about happening, that someone may abuse the telehealth system and something like this could occur. So how would a case like this be dealt with in a situation where there was no law to govern it? I am not really in a position to be able to comment on that because I am not involved in any way around the provision of abortion care. The one thing I would say, though, is there's all sorts of areas of life where people misuse systems that are in place that we would expect them to use it legally. So, for example, people drink alcohol and then they drive a car. We don't ban drinking and we don't ban driving because some people do that. Now, we do have criminal laws in place to try and prevent that for understandable reasons. Yeah, I mean, if you if you get in a car drunk and, and run someone down, you go down, you you know, you could go down yes, for life. But I suppose the distinction here lies between the fact that if you're doing that, the person who you potentially hit, or that, although even it's a crime to not even hit somebody, it's a crime to just do that, isn't inside your own body. The complexity yeah. here and the reason why I would call for there not to be criminal involvement is because of the complexity that's added by the fact that the fetus sits inside the pregnant woman's body. I'm not someone who advocates that there's absolutely no harm done if a woman does have a late-term abortion. That's not something I advocate for. What I am saying is the criminalization and the the consequences of the criminalization are so extreme that I think they do more harm than they do good. 
And one of the things that we need to balance when we are thinking about the role of the criminal law is what does more harm and what does more good. So another example would be criminalizing people who attempt to take their own lives. We made a decision that that's probably not a good thing to be doing because that person who's attempting to end their own life is already in a crisis. Why on earth, if they then don't successfully complete the attempt at suicide, why would we then criminalize them for that behavior? That's the position I'm coming from. Yes, the behavior of women like the woman on Monday, I'm not going to say it's, it's okay and it's fine. But does the criminal law actually help here? My argument is no. Emma, can I ask you, your suggestion that the onus would be on the medical profession to be regulated and, and practice ethically in this space if we were to decriminalise abortion, do you not think that that would act as somewhat of a disincentive? Because surely you would then have some medical bodies and medical professionals, you know, reluctant to do later abortions and maybe would, would we not still have the same problem? You know, if a doctor is at risk of being struck off for doing a, a late term abortion, they're still not going to be able to do it. And then women are still not going to be able to seek it. Do you, do you see what I mean? I mean, women don't fail to come forward for medical support because they are consciously aware of not being able to access a legal abortion. We're talking about cases here where the pregnancy has caused a crisis for some reason. So this is potentially a woman who's living in an abusive situation. She may not actually realise she's pregnant until quite far along in the pregnancy, or she might be denying or, or concealing that pregnancy from herself. So there's evidence in these sorts of cases that women's understanding that they're pregnant is effectively wanes and, and comes forward for them. So they might at certain points have very clear understanding and then at other points they're effectively just completely denying it to themselves. So it's not a straightforward case of, well, she knows that she can't have an abortion so she's just not going to talk to a doctor. It's a, probably a case that she hasn't quite been able to conceptualise that she's pregnant and then at the point that she does, she then potentially comes forward for assistance and support. So I'm not convinced that the role of the criminal law here is going to have any impact. We're talking about a woman in crisis. Her behaviour is not going to be, you know, massively thought out and decided. It's it's not this intentional behaviour that I think people assume it is. Mm. Well, Professor Emma Milne, thank you so much for joining us today and speaking about this very complicated topic. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm still left with this regret that we're having this conversation against a backdrop of such a complicated case. I mean, obviously, Emma too felt it was a very complicated case. Mm. You felt that this case wasn't necessarily the best representation of women in this situation, perhaps? If I'm totally honest, I just think that certainly my knowledge of, of the case from, from what I've read, mm. I mean, I think that Carla Foster uh, said, don't judge me until you've she posted via Facebook post saying yeah. something along those lines. Which is absolutely true. Mm. You know, you, you really can't know what someone's going through. And yet I am left with this question because she was so, you know, she was almost full term when she did this. I mean, you know, quite aside from the fact that anyone I talk to says that what she did put her own life at, at huge risk. It's such an unusual case in that, that she knew about her pregnancy for so long and that she concealed it and that, that she sought telemedicine and that she lied and that she continued to lie. Many of the decisions she made around that are what sealed her fate in terms of the law. 
one thing also that I try to bring up with Professor Milne, and I don't think maybe I didn't make myself clear enough, in other countries where abortion is decriminalized, the onus is on the medical professional who carries out these abortions or gives way to the abortion at a late stage. So a doctor could be at risk of being struck off, etc., rather than the onus being on the woman themselves. My concern is that doctors are so worried about being sued anyway. Yeah. Wouldn't that then, I don't understand how that would solve the problem because you would still have a woman who would go to a doctor and say, I want an abortion at 32 weeks. And the doctor would say, I can't do that because it's unethical. And if I did do that, I'd get struck off. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not really sure yes. how that would solve anything. No, that is a really, that's a great point. But you would hope that a situation where there wasn't a law mm. and people going to prison for it or mm. being investigated, and that's what the, the BPAS campaign has highlighted, that this happens, mm. that people are investigated and you know have their lives turned upside down already in a horrendous situation, that it would encourage people, if you remove this, it would create a more neutral environment in which people would be more likely to come and talk to a doctor at one of these services and they would be able to provide care. Mm. And obviously, you know, there's, there, there will be limits to what, what they'll provide. Situation. I mean, is it one of these things that's just awful situations happen because it's impossible mm. and you just have to accept a level of, you know, 0.01% of terrible situations? Well, to give the counterpoint, it's that there is a, a societal view that there are two lives at stake at some point. And, you know, I keep coming back to that, mm. that I think the late term of this situation is what's really polarised mm. it. There were lots of women on Twitter posting photographs of their late term, but prematurely born babies saying, which my is, child is now 15 and is perfectly healthy. And which well. I think is a fair point mm. to make. And, and what Emma was saying was that our law does not deal with that. Mm. So these laws are not around the protection of the fetus. And that in fact, if we end up in a situation where we, we are having fetus life protection laws, mm. it can be a slippery slope towards restricting further and further. Absolutely. And also it's important to point out that although some babies born at 32, 33 weeks mm. can survive, not all do. And it's not guaranteed. And there is a significant proportion of babies born at that point that don't unfortunately yeah yeah i mean there's always suddenly something that popped into my head is that this campaigning if they, if they really do get politicians to start trying to work out what would be popular and what's not in terms of coming up with a law about fetal rights it could go horribly wrong i don't want to think about it it's too handmaid's tale <laughs> It does. It, that is exactly what i thought yeah. anyway before we go any Let's further down down this rabbit hole on the line now is Dr. Caroline Scherf, who is a gynaecologist who works with women who are seeking abortions within the NHS. Dr. Scherf, thanks so much for joining us. One thing that we have found really interesting was the number of medical professionals who were calling telehealth the most important advance in abortion healthcare since abortion was actually made legal. Why is it that you think it's it was so important? Can you just explain that for us? I think this is a very good week to talk about this subject because we've had a very sad, much publicised sentencing in the beginning of the week of a vulnerable woman who ended her pregnancy outside the law. 
the idea and the option of telemedicine has been there for many years and has been practiced for many years. Yeah, women were very grateful that in the UK we could provide this now. In fact, there's research evidence that, you know, the women who were contacting international organizations requesting help with abortion care because they couldn't access it for one reason or another and asking for pills by post, they dropped right down from the UK the requests once the UK had the telemedicine option because they didn't need to go to clandestine international providers outside the law because they were able to access services. So this case has kicked off campaigns within the medical profession. And in fact, the Royal College of Surgeons and Gynecologists attempted to intervene during the case as well, because there is a strong belief that there's a need to reform abortion law. And is, is this something you feel broadly needs to happen? Absolutely. We've had the decrim movement for ages now. When the Abortion Act became 50, that was 2017, there was a massive move and uh, lots and lots of very important organizations are behind it. That's not just the RCOG, that's also the College of Midwives and the College of Nurses. There are loads and loads of very important astute medical colleges and bodies who are completely in agreement that the criminal law has absolutely no place. It doesn't make it safer, it doesn't make it better, it just doesn't help. It causes a lot of trouble, a lot of angst and a lot of stigma. The backdrop of this complex case to this latest campaign does beg the question, should there be no legal framework to a situation like this? What would have happened to to Carla Foster? What should have happened? She needs support. She shouldn't obviously be sent to prison. Sending someone like that to prison means there are three orphans now, she's no danger to the public, and she is costing the state lots of money by keeping her in prison. What a bizarre idea. Why do we put people in prison. Why would we want to do that? The judge says he did it because that's the way the law was written. It's a political decision. I don't understand law enough to make sure that this is the only thing he could have done. But he basically says the politicians need to do something about this law. She should not have gone to prison. She made some difficult choices which may well need follow-up and need more attention and she needs more support in future. She needs all those things, but she really doesn't need to be in prison. Well, I think much of the polarising view in this case is the late term. Mm -hmm. And many women were saying, you know, I gave birth at 22 weeks, 24 weeks, etc. And and my baby's now 15. It's very common. Yeah, they wanted to be pregnant. That's the difference. But my point is that people take a view at some point that although the baby is within the mother, that it has a right to life, I suppose, that if it could be born... They see it as a being that could be independent of the mother and therefore deserves protection in the minds of some people. Do you think that's incorrect, that the day before birth, there should be no law to protect that child in terms of right to life, I suppose, if that's the clumsy term to use, and then the day after there would be? Well, there isn't actually in the UK at the moment. So that's the non-starter. This is about the women. The women always has a priority. It's very simple. The woman has the priority. The child is very important to the woman who wants to be pregnant. And of course, somebody who has a preemie delivery will be very, very glad that we've got excellent pediatric services who can deal with that. The woman is still the priority. The uh, lobby that speaks for criminal law gives that argument all the time that it is important to control women's behavior and it is really important to make sure that we look after unborn children. 
this is exactly the reason why all these health bodies have said, well, this might sound very well in theory, but we know that in actual practice that does not work. It doesn't make abortion go away. It doesn't actually make women any happier or any safer. It doesn't make them better mothers either. It is just completely detrimental to the reproductive health and well-being of women of a country. We've got so many good examples in countries where abortion has been decriminalized and it's working beautifully and absolutely well. It needs to be regulated, of course, like many other controversial areas of healthcare. For instance, into the third trimester, like in this case, need to be very heavily regulated. And there have been all sorts of proposals written about how that would work. We've got lots of regulations about fertility treatments, for instance, and about embryos and what we do with them. So we are very, very aware of that this is an important area of healthcare that needs to be regulated, but not by the law laws. I guess I kind of see it similar to women who drink alcohol during pregnancy, as far as I'm aware. That's a great point. That's not illegal. Of course and not. Yet a woman can do what she wants in pregnancy. Been, yeah. But, but also, by that same standard, you know, as a society, there is a, a wider view that it's not all about the mother mm. and that women who are pregnant are expected to kind of take a secondary role. No. I mean, there is, no, there is a view that... I disagree. I disagree. There is no wider view. There's no wider view about that. The UK always has had a majority and the majority was for women having a choice. Many people in the UK, you ask on the high street, are surprised that abortion is illegal in the first place because they know it's accessible. It is not the wide-held view. Not, but not I talking think about the not, choice of not abortion. abortion. Not, I don't, no, we're yeah. not talking about abortion. But certainly outside of that, maybe I'm saying this in a clumsy way, but you know, women are very concerned about the things that they do. Many women that I know completely give up all drinking as soon as they find out they're pregnant. You know, they will and quit sushi. Quit yeah, I completely sushi. agree. Yeah, yeah, they won't eat soft agree. cheese. They, they do everything they can yeah, that's good, to, isn't to it? make sure the fetus is, is healthy and they see themselves as secondary. But that's to... because our health education has worked, isn't it? That's because we've managed to educate women and to say this is good to do in pregnancy and this is perhaps not such a good idea. So we are hopefully getting them better prepared for childbirth, which is a bit like running a marathon, we always say. Mm. So that means, uh, you know, the health promotion works. It's got nothing to do with abortion care. I thought that's what we were talking about. No, no, I was just, it was, it was the idea that you said yourself, the mother takes precedent over everything. And I think that yeah, many, many pregnant women do see themselves as not take, you know, that their, their desires and wants and lifestyles, et cetera, don't take precedent. And I know that's not the perfect I would say not necessarily just pregnant no, hang women. On. I, don't women. Under, I don't understand how that is a difficult decision. A woman who's not pregnant may decide to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a 10 mile run before she goes to work. Not because she thinks, oh, it's great not to stay in bed and cuddle up. It's because she knows it's good for her and she doesn't need to be pregnant. We may make all sorts of decisions that may be slightly uncomfortable or may not be, you know, lounging about all day and getting drunk. But we're making conscious decisions about feeling well and being well. And when we are pregnant, we're doing the same thing. I don't quite understand what that has to do But it's not about, well, it's about the health of the the unborn baby, isn't it? No, it's the health of the woman. It's the health of the woman. She is better off if somebody manages to lose weight, for instance, before they get pregnant, or if they manage to stop smoking before they get pregnant, they'll end up healthier at the end of the pregnancy. It's not about the fetus. The fetus, of course, also does better, but the fetus is completely reliant on the women's health. So the woman does all of that for herself, just like she would do if she wasn't pregnant. She Mm. keeps herself in shape and she looks after herself. 
I think that we've written pieces before about women who have really struggled with breastfeeding, for instance, and they've been under huge pressure to continue breastfeeding for the good of the baby. And, you know, we've spoken to lots of mothers. Yeah, we've spoken to lots of mothers who say, my priority was my baby and I didn't care even if, you know, I was bleeding and it was agonising. I, I had to do it for my baby and everyone was telling me that my baby was the most important thing. And I, I do think that there's some women, you know, get very caught up with that and, and that becomes the overriding rhetoric, which can be very damaging mental health wise. Absolutely. And that's a di- completely different subject. And it is has to do with the huge challenges that childbirth and full-term pregnancy bring for everyone who undergoes it, which brings me back to the abortion case. If you wanted to do anything Mm. safe as a woman is you avoid pregnancy and you avoid childbirth because that is probably one of the biggest challenges you'll have on your physiology, your mental health, your life, your everything. And of course, women, including myself, sacrifice that every day of this world. And we we are having children because we want to, but we are sacrificing Mm. A lot for it. Of course we do. We're sacrificing our health. Can I ask you just a little bit about your experience? I know that you've worked with women who come to you for abortion health care. Have you seen in the past women at a late stage of pregnancy or a later stage of pregnancy? And what kind of state of mind are they in at that point? And, and are these, I'm guessing, these situations very, very complicated? Yeah, that's exactly right. You've got that. They're rare. And no, I haven't seen many because they are very, very rare. And they are very complex and very sad cases that need a lot of support. Those women need our support. They don't need the prison. It's as simple as that. In those cases, what would a doctor do? We practice within the law that the land gives mm. us. That is, that is obviously hugely important mm. because otherwise he gets struck mm. off. Mm. And that's what we have to do. And sometimes we can't help women the way that we would like to or we could because we know how to do it. Medics have a lot of ways to work with these difficult cases because they are incredibly complex. You know, to discuss each detail is impossible because they're so unique. I think that this will always come back to, and if this is discussed in Parliament, it will come down to the fetus's right to life. And when does that occur? There are strong views that there is a point that the fetus has a right to life. No, it doesn't come down to that. It comes down to women's right to life and women's right to decision-making. That's what it comes down to. The argument will be had, I think. That, that's, that's my point. You know, I don't say I have an answer to that in any way, uh, but that's certainly what's going to be said. I believe that, that in America there are now laws about fe- fetuses' rights to life, um, which is not, not a positive thing. Yeah, Am- Americans are great, aren't they? The American lobbyists, they go out and end up shooting doctors. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, they, uh, let's you know, hope we right never end life, up in that. The right let's to not, life, let's, know, let's hope we don't end up in that situation. Please don't think that that's what we're no, suggesting no, no, should happen. No, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I truly think that's, that's the debate that, that's going to end up being had. Well, the, the, Irish, the Irish society managed it, didn't it? Uh, we have no reason not to do the same and actually just repeal those parts of the 1861 act that lead to prison sentences, if we can just repeal that, that's just a small issue in Parliament. Looking at the government and what kind of problems they have to deal with at the moment and how they're tearing themselves apart, this is actually easy. It means it saves the health service loads of money. It saves women loads of loads of stigma and trouble. It actually makes judges a little bit more relaxed having to deal with regulations rather than with criminal law. There's no two ways about it. There's absolutely, this is just, this is a complete clear non-starter. It's just got to go. We can't have more evidence. There isn't any more evidence. We've had this evidence for decades. 
We've had good examples internationally. We've got advice from all the people who know far more than any of us do. And please, let's just do it. Let's just be friendly to women just for once. <laughs> yeah, I second that. Well, uh, Dr. Caroline Scherf, thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome. Thank you. It's interesting that that she mentioned Ireland. Um, mm. I um, early on in my career worked as a reporter in in Ireland. How did I not know that? Did she not know that? No. Yeah, I worked for the Cork Examiner. Well, it turned into the Irish Examiner. You yeah. lived in Ireland. I did. I lived in Dublin. Okay. Well, north of Dublin. They love their they love their local newspapers in Ireland. Mm, I love a good local newspaper. But you know I me. Mean, I felt like I was giving a counterpoint and then being accused of having that view myself. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm, <laughs> don't not, I'm not pro, pro-lifer. I am sympathetic to the argument, you know, because this is never a choice that I'm going to have to make personally. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But that people do see that if a baby can be born, you know, that they shouldn't be viewed as just a fetus. Yeah, some people believe that. But I do think, as Dr. Scherf was saying, and I think I think she was right, I agree with her, that we shouldn't be sending women to prison for this. You know, the criminal justice system really has nothing to do with it. It is a healthcare issue. I mean, I personally believe that once you start going down the, the rabbit hole of, you know, a fetus has a right to life, full stop, then what's to say that a fetus at 22 weeks has a right, you know, has a right to life and, and shouldn't be aborted or at 18 weeks or yes. 10 weeks? And and absolutely, as medical care advances, premature babies uh, survive younger and younger. How do Where you, do you draw the line? Which is line? why, you know, it, it's quite right. It's the woman's choice is the woman's body. The child exists in the woman's body and so is therefore an extension of the woman's body. And they have a choice as to whether they want to be pregnant or not. It's absolute nonsense that we're wasting all this money and time on sending a woman a vulnerable woman to prison and leaving three children without their mother for really no reason well no doubt there will be many people that completely disagree with that (laughs) yeah i'm sure as there often are Uh, that's all we've got time for this week you can read about all the latest health news in the mail on sunday which you can consume in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk and on the mail app we will be back with another topic on medical minefield next week and we'll see you then goodbye goodbye